Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Grief fundamentally changes who we are and how we see the world. It's painful and heartbreaking, but also transformative and magical. This podcast is about grief and loss, but more importantly, it's about life and living fearlessly. I'm Kelsey Chittick, and welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Grieve. Okay, welcome everybody. I am really excited to introduce this guest that we have today. I was just telling her before we started recording that her name has come up as someone I should talk to quite a few times since my husband died, but since my book came out. And I feel like I know every widow in LA, but I didn't know you. <laughs> you know, do you ever feel that way? <laughs> I do and I don't. What I what I do know is that there are so many of us. Yes. And that is a little bit shocking, really. But I mean right. the younger sect of, of widowhood, I believe is what you mean. So yes. yeah. Sure. So today we have Melissa Gould, who is just a really exceptional person. I was looking just at the stuff you've done. She's a screenwriter. She's written on some of the best shows, at least the ones that I saw that <laughs> my heart sing was Party of Five and Beverly Hills 90210 because my life was built on those two shows. Oh. So essays in every major publication, New York Times, LA Times, Washington Post, all of those things. And then the reason she's here today is what we have in common is we both lost our husbands. And she wrote a phenomenal book called Widowish that people are just raving about. And I read it and there were so many similarities and just beautiful ways of talking about grief and how we move through it. And so she also, I think I'm correct that you even have that optioned for a TV series possibly, yes. correct? Yeah. Congratulations. Hollywood came calling. So which Good is for you. Like such a full circle thing. It's so funny, but yes. Good for you. So we only have 30 minutes and I always find that these conversations could go forever. But can you start, Melissa, by just telling us your story briefly of losing your husband, kind of the timeline around that? I always want people to start with when, because as much as I hate that they used to say like time heals, well, they were right, even though it bugged me, Right, they are right. So it's important to know where people are, because if you're three months out, you are in a totally different spot than you are three years out. Hopefully. Right. I totally agree. And thank you for all those sweet things you said, Kelsey. It, it is really nice to meet you and have this conversation. So my husband died going on nine years ago. Okay. So it's been a while. My book, Widow Wish, came out last year. I started writing it maybe five years after Joel died. And the background on that is my husband, Joel, was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in 2008. So MS is not a death sentence. It's what I refer to as a quality of life disease. It affects everybody differently as most autoimmune diseases do. The big umbrella, however, with MS is your mobility. So it really 
in Joel's case, we were managing it really well the first few years. And then the medication he was on stopped working and stopped being as effective. So in the course of trying a new medication, I'm trying to to tell you the story succinctly and I should have it down by now, but he was in between medications, got bit by a mosquito, which I didn't know. And I don't even think he knew or realized. And about a month later, he landed in the hospital, fell into a coma within 24 hours. It was a huge mystery illness. None of the doctors who were all amazing and fantastic and at the top of their field in MS and infectious diseases had no idea what was happening to Joel. And there was all of this concern that, well, maybe this was a reaction to the new MS medication. Maybe it's a virus. And the whole time he was in the hospital, which was for three weeks in a coma, obviously non-communicative, and the doctors were trying to figure out what was going on, I never thought he was going to die. Yeah. I it was it was traumatic beyond, but I kept thinking, well, once the doctors know what this is, they'll make him better. Right. And even though they were telling me horrific information every single day for three weeks, like he's paralyzed from the waist down. The, the next day he was paralyzed from the neck down. They were telling me his brain activity had slowed tremendously. So I kept thinking, oh my God, that's terrible. But once you know what it is, you'll make him better. I mean, I literally, there was such a disconnect. Turns out that mosquito was carrying West Nile virus. That's one of a few things listed on his death certificate, along with multiple sclerosis. But that's what he died of. He died of West Nile virus and MS. And, you know, we were young. I was in my 40s. He had just turned 50. We had have one daughter. She was 13 at the time. She just turned 22. So when you talk about time, I mean, I'm with you. I resisted all the things that people said to me about time helps heal, blah, blah, blah. I can tell you time really is a miraculous healer. And and I also was in total like disbelief over that and cynical about that. But the truth is, even though it's been almost nine years, And I have written so many essays and my book came out. It's now been options, like you mentioned. I'm still writing about Joel. I'm still, I had an essay published earlier this week. I realized like this has become my topic, I guess. Like I write fairly exclusively about grief and about loss and about life after loss and love after loss. But loss is like, a through line and grief is a through line. And even the happy, funny stuff that I write, which tends to be happy and funny, but like the underlying thing is right. loss. Well, thank you for sharing that. I actually didn't, I meant to look it up when he passed because for some reason, because your book came out recently, I thought it was more recent, but that actually, yeah. it soothes me on some level. Cause as I was saying, I'm, I'm only four years out and I was like, shit, I got to get going. You know, like I got to get, this woman's got a lot. She's done so much and you seem so healed. But I think when you tell me it's been nine years and I and I, I want to dig into your relationship too, because I think there's something really beautiful about love after loss that a lot of yeah. widows don't want to talk about, or there's a lot of opinions. So I'd love, I want to touch on that kind of at the end. But I think that your story, I think what happens when we start to speak about loss is you just don't realize how many people are are going through it. So I, I used to say that before you have a dead person, you don't realize how many dead people there are. 
right? It's just shocking. <laughs> You're like, God, I had no idea. There's dead people everywhere because you probably have become, you're so aware of people who have lost because you've become someone who they talk to or who is writing about it. And it's interesting because it's like, once you're in that camp, you can't ever see life differently. But before you experience that, you kind of walk around like everything's good. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is I run and host a lot of workshops for healing and connection. So when I first started doing them, I pretty exclusively only heard from other widows and widows comprised of most of my earlier workshops. But more recently, I've had people in there who have lost a child or who lost a parent. And what I realize is like, grief is grief is grief. And while we all kind of clutch our hearts at the thought of losing a child, because that really does seem the most devastating, but it's sort of like, normalizes, grief normalizes like the human experience because it's something we all are going to go through, Mm -hmm. you know, and what breaks my heart a little bit in my situation is that while, yeah, my husband's loss was completely unexpected, even when they were basically telling me he's dying, it still was like, I didn't get it. It was so unfathomable. Like I just, I really couldn't believe it. But when I think that my daughter Mm. was 13 And when I see 13-year-olds now, they are babies. Like that's what really just kind of does me in. And and Sophie just turned 22. Yeah. And so looking at her life as a timeline of how long my husband, her father has been gone, it really strikes me as the saddest, (laughs) like, you know, when I he has missed all of her, he died when she was in eighth grade. So he missed- all of high school, she's about to graduate college, all of college, all of like the firsts of like, you know, her first job. Everything. Yeah, everything. Like getting her driver's license. Yeah. You know, all of that. Like it's, that's a lot of life between 13 and 22 that her, her father has missed out on. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because mine were nine and 12 when he died. And it's, it's interesting because at this point I... Nate and I have a good relationship and I, I've come to terms with, with what happened in an acceptance of, of how I believe our souls move on and whatever story I tell myself that gives me peace. The thing I get hung up on that I have to go back to all the time is, but my kids were nine and 12. Right. Like they were little and they watched it and I was gone. And, and so for a long time, I, I struggled with it. But now, and I, I wonder how your daughter feels, but my kids are like, they now repeat the stories I told them, which is like, dad was here as long as he was supposed to be. And he loved you enough in those years that, you know, that was what we signed up for on some level. And I want to talk to you about that too, because my husband had, he played football and he died of a heart attack. And that, but he also had CTE, which is the concussion disease from, Oh wow! and we didn't know that. And so, and I was, when I was reading your book, you know, I, I'm jumping around here, but every person that I know that has lost somebody, it was like a really good man. I haven't heard a widow be like, I was glad he was gone. You know, like I've never heard someone say there was any relief that this person wasn't amazing. Like every person I talked to is like, my husband was different. My wife was different. Something was right. special about them. And maybe we're just not talking to the people that are like, phew, you know, but I just have I'm trying to think because I've met so many widows. I think there have been a few and I've certainly- spoken to some widowers who felt like 
we weren't in a good place. You know, <laughs> That's a whole of. other problem probably it, too. Yes, I agree. But I think uh, about your husband being sick and I know that he had MS and I know that it was being handled, but it sounded like in the book, correct me if I'm wrong, it was, there were signs that were showing that things weren't going well for him internally. Yeah. I mean, the last, what's so crazy is like the last year of his life, things were pretty bad. Like the MS yeah. was really taking a turn for the worse. And that's why he was in between medications because the one that he had been on, he was still like, listen, he, he was a, not a football player, but he was a very athletic guy and he was at the gym every morning and played racquetball a few times a week, was on a softball team, a basketball team. When he got the MS diagnosis, he was able to do those, to continue doing those things kind of, but a few years in and living with MS, he really had to change his physical landscape and the way that he got his exercise, which was one of the things that really made him so happy. Mm -hmm. So he kind of gave up basketball and softball for yoga. And he became like this amazing yogi. He started riding his bike more because it was easier than walking everywhere. He could ride his bike. So he made these sort of changes to accommodate how his body was changing and how he was feeling. But that last year of his life was so difficult. And we both really were fearful that things were just going to get worse. Yes. Worse. And the reason I ask that, and I get, and everybody has a different spiritual take on what, 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 how, why this whole thing works, right? And I'm always curious about, because when you lose someone, you have to couch it somehow because you have to find a way that you can either say, I have found peace in this. But when I hear about men like your husband or mine who had, and so I know Nate was off the last year too. I couldn't figure out what was wrong with him. He was far away in his mind a lot, feeling like he didn't feel great and he was used to feeling great. There was a, like a low level of depression I'd never seen of kind of like this, if I can't live at excellence, I don't know that I, you know, I don't know that I want this. And so he died very quickly and your husband died of West Nile and like the chances of West Nile are like zero. I mean, maybe they are, but I, and I did a podcast with a guy the other day who had a similar kind of story, but do you ever think that on some level, like it's so weird that it's, it's Okay. That somehow, except for the kids, I can't ever figure out the right. kid part. I can't, I'm like, well, he would have never left the kids because that would, but some way I, I sometimes look at the way these things happened and your husband's a perfect example. Like a lot of weird things had to happen at the same time. Right. And he was never in pain once he got to the hospital, right? No, he was, he was in a lot of pain. Like, like in I the so beginning? appreciate you speaking so frankly about, your husband, because I would say that Joel too, that last year was like a low level depression that I was mm-hmm. just not used to. And yeah. I don't even think I, I called it that because it was so unfamiliar. And I also think that in death, people become saints. You know, our marriage was amazing. Joel was an amazing person. It wasn't perfect. Oh my God. I wanted to like kill him. Was, yeah. I mean, I could kill him for dying. That's what I, I could say. I, I will. But, when I see him again, I'm going to give him an earful. Like you piece of crap. I know. What the F? Left me um, with these two kids and a widow at 40. Like so rude. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I about regarding the kid and, and our daughter is I really believe 
that Joel would not have died if he didn't think we would be okay. 100%. Yeah, like that just gives me comfort. It might sound crazy. I know you get it. I'm I'm so glad you do. But I, I think some people might be like, well, I don't know how anybody could orchestrate that. But I just think on a on a spiritual level or psychic level of some kind, like I just think Joel was, it was his time. Yes. And I also think in terms of my daughter, like this is her path. I have, I have no explanation, no reason for why it's horrific, but for whatever reason, this is her path. And I'm, I'm glad to be here with her, Yeah, you know, to just bear witness to it and to be a, a, a pillar of support for her. But it, it it is completely nonsensical and it makes no sense. Yeah. It's beautiful too, though. And I think, and I'm, I'm trying to not make this be a podcast that like, we just all talk about how hard it is because I think we, we know that part. But what I'm looking forward to exploring is the magical parts of saying goodbye and knowing that maybe it's okay, even though it hurts, even though it's awful, even though we assume people should live till they're 80 and we that children should have fathers until they're 60. Right. Um, that isn't the story. And if we can somehow kind of reach outside of that realm and think, well, maybe we, if we all agreed that we were meant to be together, then we got to agree that we were meant to be together, however that looks, right. wherever they are. And I do think it sounds like your husband too, you know, I do think we have, souls have choices, not like how we think of it here when we go to Chick-fil-A and order something like that choice, but like (laughs) we have, we, we come down and we go and it's this fluid thing that, that we as humans put uh, parameters around. What is a good life? What should a father, every father should be at a wedding. Well, maybe Nate's going to show up as a hummingbird at the wedding and he'll be like there. I don't know. I'm trying to stay open to the magic of it as opposed to getting too caught up in the old stories that we believe about how it should be. And the kids are probably just like you, the hardest part. But I don't know. We could we could talk about that for hours. I want to ask you a question about navigating. I think one thing we haven't talked about yet is how to really navigate grief with your children. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Yeah. And this is moms don't have time to grieve. So I lo- we haven't talked about this, but do you feel the same that it's a blessing to have children and a nightmare to have children when you're grieving because you're trying to do two beautiful things? Well, you know what? For me, the biggest thing was I didn't, like Sophie gave me reason to get up every day yep. in the beginning. And then I felt like that is such a burden I'm putting on her. And I did not want to burden her with being my reason mm, I to, like that. to keep moving forward. But in, 
many, many, many ways she really was because she, I wanted to keep her on track. You know, she was going to school. You know, my career has always been, for the most part, freelance-based. So it's not like I had to get up and go to work every day. I had work to do, but it was on my own schedule. And and certainly in the aftermath of my husband dying, I was fairly lenient with deadlines and things like that. But Sophie, you know, she had school. She had her life that I didn't want to suffer more than it was given the fact that her dad just died, you know? So I made a point of just like, she was my focus a thousand percent. And we really did grieve very differently. I think we still do. I think, you know, 13 is a very, and your kids, you said we're nine and 12. I mean, 13 is dicey with a girl, no matter how you do it. Yeah. Well, so many times I was like, is this because she's a teenager or is this because her dad died? And and the truth is like, the answer really doesn't matter. Like this was her experience. But I do wonder, I'm I'm sure you play that game too. Like if Joel were still alive, would this have happened in her life? Like every hour that choice would that, you know? Yes. But you know, she, I was crying all over the place, talking about my grief to anybody. <laughs> Me too. Uh, oh, yeah, embarrassing. Much more. Yeah, for she she kept it much more hidden. And I think because you know, at thirteen, it's like you want to be like everybody else. Yep. And there was nobody else in in her class who lost a parent. You right. know, and 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 my daughter hasn't all. You know, this is a blessing too. All of her grandparents are still alive. Oh, she's lucky. So she didn't have a practice grief, you know, like she was hit hard with like a direct line of contact to her dad dying. Like, that's interesting. So, so she didn't have like, I think around 13, a lot of kids start losing their grandparents. You know, she, again, it's a blessing. They're all still alive and she has a lot of them because my parents are divorced, remarried. Joel's parents are divorced, remarried. So she's got four people everywhere. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that she has all of that. Um, but she doesn't have her dad. Yeah. I think, you know, when I when when Nate first died, I really wanted the kids to talk about it. And I took him to counseling. I did all the things I'm sure you did that I've read from the book. And I just, I, I needed to talk about it to everyone. I'd be in Trader Joe's and be like, my husband died yesterday. Anyways, yes. um, because it felt like I was going to die if I didn't tell people the reality I was living because I felt like I was in an altar world. What I realized with the kids, and I actually read, have you read Oprah's book, What Happened to You About Trauma? No, I, no, it's sitting here, but Such I just Such have... a good book because what it yeah. sh- what they talked about with kids is like, you can't, they're not adults. So like me forcing exactly. them to talk about it, my daughter would like revert and close her ears and be like, stop. And I used to be like, if you don't get it out, it's going to fester in you and you're going to get sick. And, and now as the kids are older, they're 14 and 17 now, they're like, mom, we didn't have words for it. You have all these words and all these friends and they come over and drink wine. And we just have like our sixth grade friends. We're not like, we can't talk about it. We just want to slide under the radar and not let anybody know. So if anyone's listening, don't do what I did, which was really try to force it instead of going like, you'll talk well, you about it what, when you're ready. You know why you're trying to force it? Because they're doing it differently. Like I know. You know and like I did the same, I wrote about in in my book when Sophie and I were in Hawaii and I was like, this is a really great, we were sitting on this gorgeous beach in Oahu on like the North shore and I said, this is a great place to just sit and think about daddy. And she's like, stop telling me how to, yeah. like when I should think about daddy. And when I, like, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. I'm not, you know, yeah. and she was right. Yep. No, they're brilliant too. The other thing I realized is kids are a little bit closer to God 
than us because they haven't gotten so in their heads and so many right. shoulds. Like my daughter didn't have a wedding that she noticed that her dad wasn't at yet. So she doesn't know, right. she's never, she's been to one wedding. So the, all these stories that we create about what they're going to miss, they haven't even right, thought about rich. that yet. And yeah, it's, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. We only have a little bit. Can I ask you, because this is important for me, moving forward when you've loved someone the way you loved your husband. Oh, yeah. I find that I think that we have a, if you've loved well before, you'll love well again. I agree. Because you have a good picker. And good pickers pick good people, and there's 8 billion people in the world. Right, and you don't have the baggage of like a divorce that's been acrimonious and, exactly. and or hostile or, you know, so you're not meeting people in a, with that kind of cynicism and distrust, you know, if, if that's your story as sure. you know, I know plenty of divorced people who have found tremendous love again, and it's, it's wonderful, but I do think there's something about being a widow that kind of opens you up to, to like good, you know, yeah, I, I do too. And it takes, and I also think that a person that wants to be with a widow is a special type of person. Cause I'm always like, I don't think I could do it. I, oh, I see pictures of her. And yeah, no, no, no. I give my boyfriend <laughs> so much credit. Like, in fact, I just thought I, I have to write an essay about him now, yes. which I've done plenty of times. But like my last batch of essays have really just been about my grief and about Joel and missing him. And it's like, I don't know that I would be as tolerant and patient with it as my boyfriend is. That's smart. And I also think at a certain point, when does that not have to be our story completely? Like we don't always have to be the widow or the, you know, because our life evolves too. So it'll be interesting because you have a whole other experience that's really beautiful too. And that's a great story. <laughs> you know, that's a great story Thank because you. I think it's really, I started dating probably six months. I had this deep desire to have sex because I hadn't had sex with a lot of people before my husband actually won. There you go, world. The 40 <laughs> people that are listening. But I remember being like, I've got to get I've got to do this because I was panicked. I'd been married 20 years. I was like, what am I going to do? I met him in college and I fell in love really quickly. But I also, it just was too soon for me because it was yeah. kind of like a desperate, I almost needed someone to shepherd me through my grief. I needed to be touched. That's what I missed the most. I missed being hugged or handheld or just sitting next to someone. I think that we don't talk about that enough with grief is that when you lose your loved one, you miss physical touch. Yeah. Miss their hands. So how did you, was everybody supportive of you? Because he, Marcus no. was such a great guy. No, the, I mean, My they friends are, what, weren't. <laughs> what's surprising is that we're still together because we've been together. Joel's been gone almost nine years. And so we've been together almost eight. Good for you. But I thought, and I'm sure all of my friends thought it was going to be a fling. Like to your point, like just needed that touch, that sort of like tenderness, sure. you know. And here we are all of these years later. I will say our relationship is very unconventional. We don't live together. We yes. live down, we live down the want. from each other. We Brilliant. see a few times a week. We're not together every day. Like, you know, it's, it's different. But I also think that love in middle age is different. You know, I don't know that, you know, we're looking for the same things we did when we met our husbands and we're planning a future. And when you're planning a future in your 20s or 30s, if that's when you, you meet your person, you know, you're thinking financially. You're yes, thinking babies. Career-wise, you're thinking family and babies. Like I have all, by the time I got together and was a widow, I had like checked everything off. You know, I had been, great marriage, check. Same. Amazing child, check great career check. So 
by the time like I I partnered up with with my guy, I I wasn't. It, it was a different set of criteria, I guess. And 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 honestly, there was not even criteria because I just thought I need to get this out of my system. Right. I get it. I thought he was attractive. I got the very clear signals. He was into me. I was into him. Done. And like here we are, all of these years later. It's. I love that. I actually, we need to do another podcast. I've been talking to my girlfriends about that because they keep saying, I'm really okay living with my children. I actually have a lovely life. I have nobody's else's energy. I love my husband, but he drove me insane. Right. And I have, I come home, we have a nice life. And I keep saying, and I think a lot of women are feeling this way too. You know, how do we do this a bit differently? I I don't want to get married again. I can't imagine it. it. Marriage to me is for kids and that I want to be able to, I don't want to tie up finances. I don't want to tie up. It's It's just, I'm so glad because when I researched you on this, on the World Wide web, it said that you all were living together with your children. So I really love that you're living on the same street. There's one, there's one like high ranking review or something. Yes. Crazy gossip columnist wrote where literally she got every single thing wrong. Every single thing. And like, and my public at the time, because my book was fairly new and I was talking to my publicist. I'm like, and she's like, well, do you want us to get a retract a print of retraction? I'm like, no, nobody will see it. It's the one thing that everybody brings up all the time. I'm like, all right, whatever. Well, I love what I I mean, I I just love what you said that you all are doing it a bit differently that works at the age that we're at. And that space is really beautiful. And marriage was created yeah. a long time ago for different reasons than that we need now. And how wonderful to voluntarily choose to let someone's energy in and out of your home, out of your life, and have this kind of fluid way to, you can vacation together, your kids can be yeah, together. But I mean, somehow yeah. it's brilliant. I'm going to copy everything. <laughs> I think it's, I think, I think that's something we should dig into more because going back when you've lost a spouse straight back into a marriage again, it brings up to, I've seen people try it, but it's very hard because you don't yeah. have a lot of space. You've already done that. Now you're trying to do it again, but all the goals are different. Exactly. So we could talk for another 45 minutes, but I know this okay. podcast is first. We'll do another. We'll, we'll do it again. But <laughs> thank you so much. I, I loved your book. And I, it's funny when I was reading the, the first part of it, some of the words and lines you used were so similar to what I wrote and had in terms of just this hope that you're going to find joy and that you're, you were committed to your daughter, that you were going to make it a happy home and that you were going to make a happy life. And I think that's really important for people that are listening, you know, make your intention clear early on yeah, and how you want to navigate where your North star is and then let the waves take you, but make sure you have a, a, a place that you're headed and, and hopefully it ends in joy. And this thing is a lot easier to handle with that. So that's so nice. Thank you. Have a great time with your series. I can't wait to hear about it and um, we'll do this again. Thanks so much, Kelsey. So great to chat with you. Thank you. Okay. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep going. It gets better. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.